This week, Michael Jordan commented on Tiger Woods winning the PGA Masters this week. Any golf fans here? No, not really. It's all right, neither am I. But uh, Michael Jordan, the basketball player, by the way, if you're not a basketball fan either, as I'm not, uh, he said about Tiger Woods, to me it was the greatest comeback I've ever seen. Now, I think Jordan's missing the fact that all Tiger Woods may have been mocked at one stage there. He was never beaten. He was never scourged. He wasn't repeatedly struck on the head. He wasn't nailed to a cross through his hands and his feet. Tiger Woods wasn't speared through his side. He wasn't confirmed dead by professional torturers, then buried for three days. And Tiger Woods did not conquer death itself and rise from the dead as Jesus Christ did. So for me, the greatest comeback is the comeback we're going to talk about this morning, that comeback seen through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. And I've got a text there, John 21 to 18, but we'll be skipping around a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that there were over 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, being what we call Resurrection Sunday, I'd like us to follow really just one of those witnesses from the time she met Jesus Christ in Galilee to her becoming the first witness and proclaimer of the resurrection. And you can decide for yourself whether the world-famous sportsman Michael Jordan's right or if you think a humble, otherwise unknown woman uh, from Palestine in the first century might be right about the greatest comeback. So we'll tell this, uh, this narrative, this story in a number of chapters. Chapter 1, Introducing Mary Magdalene. Who is she? Why am I talking about her? And by the way, this um, I, I haven't studied Mary Magdalene before, and it was I'm not sure how I got onto the idea of doing our Resurrection Sunday service like this, but it's been a tremendous blessing for me to study her life. And, yeah, I realized a whole lot of new things about her. And she is mentioned in Scripture, I think, 20 times, either directly or as being in a a group. But, um, yeah, it wasn't until I actually stopped and tried to piece all the pieces together I realized uh, what an important woman she is, actually, in the whole gospel account. Luke 8, 1 to 3 tells us a bit about her background. It says, Soon afterward, he, being Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So this is fairly early in Jesus' ministry, still in his public ministry. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. So I've got to concede that Mary Magdalene may have had some issues in her life, uh, with seven demons being cast out. Uh, And from that text too, uh, we don't know if it's her specifically, but maybe she was reasonably wealthy and she was able to provide this entourage, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, 
uh, to keep them on the road. Um, so yes, uh, she might have had some issues, she probably did, but it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, which gives me great hope for people like myself. It says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So Mary Magdalene might have been a humble woman, but I, I praise God that he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And Mary Magdalene's name suggests she might be from the town of Magdala on the western shore of Galilee. So that's about all the information we have on her on a background prior to the crucifixion. But as she followed Jesus with the other disciples, it seems she developed... Uh, as Marie was bringing out a very strong loyalty and a very strong love for her rabbi. And her next appearance is when we see Mary's rabbi nailed to a cross, or chapter 2. So Mary Magdalene was there at the beginning of the crucifixion. John 19 verse 25 says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So the only one of the twelve disciples mentioned it as being present for part of the crucifixion was the Apostle John, until he took Christ's mother back to his home, and he looked after her from that point on. And probably John appeared later, um, or saw, saw the blood and the water coming out of Christ's side, so maybe John came back again. But Mary Magdalene was still there six hours later when Jesus Christ breathed his last. Mark 15, 37-41 says, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. Praise God for that symbolism again, the temple being torn in two from top to bottom. One of the things Jesus Christ said he would do was destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. And he was kind of speaking a bit, of, a little bit allegorically there. Uh, he, we're told he was talking about his body, but we also know he was coming to, to put an end to temple worship and temple sacrifice. And that curtain splitting from top to bottom opened the way to the holies of holies, and it means, depending which temple uh, curtain it was in some ways, but it means that we can now freely enter into God's presence. Uh, so that's significant. Um, we don't need a priest. We don't need to go through someone else now to, to enter into God's presence. Verse 39, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also a young woman looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary, Mary Magdalene. Sorry, I put the young in there for some reason. There were also women. And Mary, the mother of James the younger, 
and of Joseph in Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So despite Christ's prophecies and despite the disciples uh, thinking Jesus was crazy going back into the area of Bethany and, uh, and Jerusalem, he's got Mary Magdalene and these other women following him up. And so Mary Magdalene saw Christ, saw his spirit depart. This rabbi that she'd grown to love, who she uh, had obviously grown very loyal to, who she probably had great hope for, maybe of bringing back the kingdom of Israel, maybe restoring Israel, uh, Jewish rule over the Romans. Now she's seen him breathe up his last. And was saying in the Bible study, we need sometimes to enter into the atmosphere of Scripture. We need to employ our emotions, not just our brains. Don't um, we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, not the removal. But uh, yeah, we need to use our brains and our hearts and emotions at times to enter into Scripture. So that would have been a tragedy um, when all your hopes, what she's obviously invested her life into for maybe the last couple of years and then seeing him dead on a cross. Chapter 3, Mary's rabbi laid in a tomb. Mark 15, verse 46 to 47, says, And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So not only do we have Joseph knowing exactly where his own grave, his own tomb was, maybe that he'd made for himself, but uh, thought, well, there's, there's room in there for this uh, man that claimed to be God. Um, but also Mary Magdalene and, and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw place where he was laid. It was a new tomb. Matthew twenty seven, fifty nine to sixty one, similar account, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. So Mary's not not running for cover, she's not unlike so many others um, abandoning the Lord at this stage, but she's following the, the physical body of Jesus Christ as, as he goes through, and she's a key eyewitness. She saw him go behind that stone. Chapter 4, Mary's distress, the missing body. Here we get back into John and we'll stay there for a bit. Early while it was still dark. So I'll just should read the passage. John 20 verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So Mary seems restless here to get back to the tomb after the Sabbath. 
Maybe she hadn't slept well that night, probably not, even though she'd had a big day. You've probably had those days where you're so exhausted, where there's been so much happened the day before, but you just cannot switch off at night. So, yeah, I guess she probably took a long time to fall to sleep, but she woke up early, and again, the Sabbath's over. Uh, well, um, yeah, it would be, yeah, w- would have been over at this point uh, at sunset on um, on Sunday night. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, it would have been over. So she's taking her first opportunity to get back to that tomb. Luke 24, 1-12 uh, gives us an interesting perspective again. So I'll just read that. Luke 24, 1-12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. So obviously they've got this intention here of embalming the body properly. They didn't have time uh, when he was laid in the grave, but yeah, they're looking at embalming him. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven and to to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marvelling at what had happened. So that passage indicates that their purpose was to finish the preparation of the body. We're not told what her motivation was, what was going on in her mind, but at least it must have been to honour the dead in some way. Uh, I'd like to think it was, again, out of love and uh, loyalty to her saviour. She certainly wasn't taking spices uh, to the tomb to uh, go and sprinkle in an empty tomb. Uh, She was going to find the body of Jesus. And Matthew 28 verse 2 tells us that an angel had rolled the stone back. Back to John 20 verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John the Apostle John, the author of this book, by the way, being humble about himself. And he said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not not know where they have laid him. So that's her statement to the disciples, and we'll come back to that in a minute. They have taken him, and we don't know where he's been laid. So no one's expecting the resurrection. And when she says, we do not know where 
they've been laid. Who's the we? Well, that was, we get that back from Luke 24, uh, at least Mary and Mary, the mother of James. So a little point of order, a legal point of order here, just to keep wake Hamish up. Hamish is gone. This is Palestine 2,000 years ago. Uh, they can't actually trust, sorry ladies, the testimony of a woman. Uh, it doesn't stand up in a court of law. Uh, you actually need two male witnesses uh, for a court of law. So that's where our, our runners come in. Verse 3, So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So the Apostle John's not only humble about him being there, he's also humble about his running abilities. Um, he outran Peter, but doesn't name who it was that outran Peter. Verse 5, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. So this is talking about John here, but he did not go in. So grave robbers, disciples, or enemies would not have taken the time to unwrap Jesus' body before stealing it away. It's probably much better wrapped up, still in the linen shrouds. Uh, it also indicates they did not mistake the tomb. Uh, so yeah, he's seeing these linen cloths lying there. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came and following, came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Anyone here been robbed? I've been robbed a number of times. I've never seen them fold stuff up as they leave. Uh, everything's just a mess. Uh, and so, yeah, having a folded up head cloth does not suggest this is the work of robbers. Uh, they're not tidy people, unless there's the odd really eccentric one who does strange things to, to leave a, a trail. Verse 8, Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first, being John, also went in, and he saw and believed. So he saw the empty tomb um, and believed. And what, you might say, well, what's that, that believed? What did he believe? Well, from a bit of study on it, I think it means he believed Mary Magdalene's statement in verse 2, that they've taken the body and we don't know where he's gone. Some might say the resurrection, or you might say he believed in the resurrection, but that doesn't fit the original Greek where it uses four different words for saw or see. So he saw and he believed. But that seeing is only a seeing where it's just a view or to see rather than to carefully observe, to perceive or to discern. And also um, it doesn't fit the context of verses 9, 10, 11 and 20 that he would have believed in the resurrection because Still up until beyond that, um, well, up until verse 18, nobody's believing in the resurrecting Christ. So it seems far more likely to refer to John believing Mary Magdalene's statement in verse 2. Uh, they've, they've taken his body and we don't know where it's gone. 
Then verse 9, we see, For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So what scripture are they referring to there? Uh, John doesn't actually stop and explain what he means, but it is explained in more detail in Acts 2, uh, verses 22 to 32, where Peter is is uh, preaching to the, the thousands there, and he explains it's, it's uh, Psalm 16, verse 10, quoted for, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. And there were other scriptures referring to the expected resurrection, but that's the one referred to here. So yes, the the Jews did have, have this concept uh, that the Messiah would rise from the dead. So we've studied the evidence so far for the empty tomb. We've got uh, the eyewitness account of Mary Magdalene, and more importantly, from a worldly perspective, we've got our two male witnesses. No other body was produced, and the presence and the arrangement of the grave clothes indicates that the witnesses have the correct tomb, and it doesn't suggest body snatching. And then Peter later explained the empty tomb as a fulfilment of Psalm 16, verse 10. Chapter 5, Mary's message. I have seen the Lord. In verse 11 we read, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So for Mary here, it's going from bad to worse. She probably can't take it anymore. She's just weeping and weeping, and twice it's mentioned. And she's still looking into this tomb, uh, indicating disbelief, lack of acceptance, maybe denial. Verse 12, And she saw two angels in white standing, sorry, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So Luke 24, as we read before, calls them men. In other words, these angels, John calls angels, uh, they they don't have halos or wings. Uh, These are messenger angels. Um, John calls them angels. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Again, not expecting, and we talked in Bible study a little bit about seeing and believing or believing and seeing. She wasn't looking around to see Jesus. Uh, Whatever the reason is, she didn't recognize him. And it reminds us a bit of the two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 16. They were walking along and it says there but their eyes were kept from recognizing him and you might wonder well why why Mary Magdalene uh, getting that first glimpse still hasn't recognized him but why is Jesus Christ revealing himself to Mary Magdalene first well she did come earlier and she lingered longer the apostles Uh, Maybe they feared arrest or being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, they saw the empty tomb and then headed back home again. 
but not Mary. Maybe it's because she was grieving the most. There's no mention of the apostles weeping and crying and looking into the tomb at this stage. Maybe because she loved Christ the most. Maybe because she was seeking him more diligently. Matthew 7, 7 says, Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened, ask and it will be given. So maybe that's why Proverbs 8 verse 17 says, Those who seek me diligently find me. Maybe it's because she was more courageous. Maybe the apostles were so shaken that, uh, and maybe worried because of arrest, other implications that they thought we'd better get back behind closed doors. Well, Scripture doesn't tell us, but maybe some of these things are why she had the unique privilege of seeing our Lord and Saviour first and talking with him first. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says that a woman would be the first to see him as an evidence of Jesus' electing love as well as a mark of the narrative's historicity. No Jewish author in the ancient world would have invented a story with a woman as the first witness to the most important event. So you could say it's a little bit of a hole in the story, or you could say it actually uh, gives more credence to it. John 20 verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So again, she's not thinking straight. She's desperate for relief. She's now looking to the gardener to tell her where the body is, and maybe it's in, in his way and it's a problem for him. She's happy to take it away. Very confused. And then she hears his voice. And that reminds me of John 10, 3-4, where it says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. He said, Mary. And he leads them out. When he had brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So Mary recognized his voice, maybe a glance at him through teared eyes wasn't good enough, but when he said, Mary, she knew. Uh, that's the man I've been listening to for the last couple of years. And we see that great sense of relief. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Notice he calls them their brothers. Go to my brothers and say to them. Have you ever, can you recall before that, Christ ever calling his disciples his brothers? No, so something's changed here. Uh, He said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Now he's calling them brothers. So probably the disciples as members, uh, sorry, probably referring to the disciples because at this stage the members of his own family did not believe in him. Uh, James, his, his blood brother had said, was making uh, fun of him before this. And 
until now the disciples would be called servants and even friends, but never brothers. And because of the redeeming work of the cross, they are now in a new relationship as sons of God and to Jesus Christ as his brothers. Galatians 3 verse 26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Speaking to Gentiles in Galatia there, you're all sons of God through faith. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So, yes, resurrection morning and bang, we're straight into the, the new covenant now. Uh, no more um, uh, a more distant relationship or of servants or even friends, but now it's brothers. And he said, do not cling. I uh, didn't want Mary clinging to him. And that Greek word hapto is to hold on to, to seize or to grasp. And uh, just need to touch on this a little bit because we can, oh, if we get this wrong, we're vulnerable to a uh, what's called the secret ascension theory. Uh, and some might say, well, it wasn't a physical body. But he was certainly not untouchable. Because in Matthew 28, 9, the disciples took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And also in John 20, verse 27, Thomas was invited to put his hands in Jesus' hands and his hands in Jesus' side. So it's not that he wasn't untouchable. It wasn't that he was not a physical being. Uh, we're not actually told why she was not to grasp him at that stage, other than that he needed to ascend. And then he says, but go. So uh, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene here has received three special privileges so far. She's seen angels. She's the first to see the risen Saviour alive. And now... She's what some call the first evangelist. She's the first person to be charged with sharing the good news of the resurrected Christ. I saw a funny little uh, cartoon this week kind of picking up on this concept. There's three women standing there and uh, a whole lot of men looking at these three women and three women representing Mary and some others and the other ones, the disciples, and they're saying, yeah, thanks, Mary, we'll take it from here. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're into the new covenant now. And uh, yeah, Jesus, it's interesting, he says, uh, my father and your father, my God and your God. It's interesting that he doesn't say our Father and our God. Um, his relationship to the Father has always been distinct and it always will be distinct. He's the only begotten Son. We, uh, I pray, are, are adopted sons, adopted daughters. So there's a slight distinction there. He, he could have said our Father and our God, but he said my Father and your Father. And then, for me, maybe the highlight of the, the whole story and where, again, we can enter into those emotions, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. 
and that he had said these things to her. Now that that confusion, well, if we just sort of go back through the, the chapters here, we've gone to restlessness and sleeplessness and the dismay of seeing her saviour crucified. We've seen the confusion and bewilderment in verse 2. We've seen in verse 11 things going from bad to worse. You can't take it anymore, the weeping, disbelief, lack of acceptance, denial. Verse 15, she's not thinking straight. She's desperate for relief. And then we see that relief as she sees a saviour and then that weeping turning into joy. And that's the last we hear of Mary Magdalene in Scripture. And I look forward to meeting her one day finding out a bit more about her. So, yes, definitely a very important woman, and I hadn't realised before studying this that she was a key witness in terms of a witness of all the major key points of Jesus' death, burial and resurrection. So thus far in John 20, we've read of one eyewitness account of the resurrected Jesus. And there were many, many more to come. So in conclusion and summary, Mary Magdalene began following Christ in Galilee. And unlike the other disciples, continued as physically close to him as she could possibly be through the crucifixion and burial. <clears throat> she was probably one of the main witnesses that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John used to describe the crucifixion and burial. Uh, because, yeah, we're not told that they were there. Not for all of it. And as there is no record of their presence at those events, with the exception of the Apostle John, who was present at some stage early in the crucifixion. Mary Magdalene was up before the others early in the morning, after the Sabbath, to go and embalm the Saviour's body. Our eyewitness, Mary Magdalene, has provided credible evidence for the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But mental assent is not evidence of true faith. Like Mary Magdalene in verse 17, we too are commanded to go. If we really believe this, we're told to go and tell others that he has risen, that he is risen. And to do that faithfully, we'll need to stay as close to Jesus as we possibly can. Not in the physical sense now, but in the spiritual. And we need to stay close even when we're frightened, like Mary was, even when we're tired, confused, and discouraged. I'll finish, uh, I'll close in prayer, but um, my prayer is actually adapted from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 4. So you might recognize parts of it. Let's pray. Blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your great mercy and that you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us. Thank you for the clear and reasonable evidence of the resurrection from eyewitnesses such as Mary Magdalene. Help us by your Holy Spirit, we pray, to go and present to as many as will listen the reason for the hope that is in us. For your glory and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.